probably. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. There are those who think that they are wise, and then it's good that God gives us mothers to remind us that we're not quite as wise as we once thought. A man who probably needed his mother to bring him down a notch or two had God to do it, and that's Job. I was reminded this week of a king who was called Alfonso the Wise, and he made the statement, he said, if I had been present at creation, I could have given some useful hints for a better running of the universe. And I thought how that really reminds me of some people in our day. They think they know more than God does about how to run the universe. And we've seen that in the book of Job. We've seen Job expressing his discontent with how God is doing things. Now, none of us are dumb enough to do that. None of us are foolish enough to say, well, uh, this is the way God should be doing it. But when we begin to question what God is doing in our lives, when we begin to doubt what God is doing in our lives, we are essentially saying, I know better than God does. And we should know that that is far from the truth. When we come to Job chapter 38, we have seen the process that Job has gone through. We have seen Job reverent in his suffering. He continued in chapters 1 and 2 to worship God, and he did not sin with his mouth. And then we saw Job wrestling with his suffering as this continued, and it began to get in his mind in chapter 3. He began to wonder about what's going on, and he began to doubt, and began to wrestle with this problem. His friends came along, and we saw Job reviled in his suffering. They said, Job, if you, hadn't been sin- if you had not sinned, this wouldn't be happening to you. It's your fault. And then as he began to debate that and argue with that, they said, well, Job, here's what we think you're really doing. You are a dishonest person. You're wealthy because you cheated people. And they began to get more and more hateful toward Job. And then we saw Elihu stand up and we see Job rebuked in his suffering. This morning, I want you to see, as we consider Job, I want you to see God revealed in Job's suffering. Because really, when he gets down to it, that's exactly what God is doing in our lives. It is God revealing himself. It is God communicating to us. I'm so glad that God, in his mercy and his grace, has chosen to communicate with mankind. And one of the ways that he does this is in and through our suffering. Elihu has spoken as he prepares the way for God to speak in chapter 38. He spoke about God's grace. He spoke about God's goodness. He reminded Job of the goodness of God. He reminded Job of the glory and the greatness of God. And then we come to chapter 38, and the first part of verse 1 says, Then the Lord answered. I have to say this was not what they were expecting. And when God answers... He doesn't always answer in the way and the time that we would prefer or that we expect, and he doesn't always say what we hope he's going to say. I love in the New Testament when people would come to Jesus with some question that they thought was going to stump Jesus. They would come and they would say, Jesus, what about this? And Jesus always answered with a question. And I always, personally, that as a child, when I was growing up, that used to bother me to no end because I hated to be in conversations with people and you'd ask, maybe ask your parents a question 
and they would respond with another question. I just want a straightforward answer. I just want to know. I just want a straight, give me straight answer. But God does that. And he begins to ask Job some questions Job doesn't expect. In fact, Job said back in chapter 9, if I had called and he answered me, I wouldn't believe that he actually was listening to me. He didn't expect, he thought he was just talking and he acted as if God wasn't really going to respond. Eliphaz says the same thing. He says in chapter, uh, chapter 5, call now if there's anybody that's going to listen to you. You can call on God and God's not going to really listen. Elihu says in his last speech that we saw last week, he said, touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. And so all of them are in for a shock and a surprise when we come to chapter 38 and it says, then the Lord answered. It seems during Elihu's speech that there's been a storm coming up. He's not only talking about storms, he is it seems, describing a storm that perhaps is on the horizon. It's getting closer and closer. And then chapter 38 tells us that God answers out of the whirlwind. Now, we know and we remember the story of Elisha when he's on the mountain. And he listens for God to speak. And he listened for the, he, he saw the earthquake and he saw the wind and he saw, and then all of those things God didn't speak, but he spoke in a still, small voice. There are times in our lives when we need to listen carefully because God will be speaking in a still, small voice. But in this instance, he speaks from a whirlwind. He speaks from a storm because he's about to call Job into account. He's about to ask Job some questions. God speaks to us. And whenever we see in the Old Testament God speaking, it is important for us to remind ourselves of how God speaks to us. In the Old Testament, it says things like, And the Lord answered, or thus saith the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to the prophet. God has spoken to us in two precise ways. God has spoken to us through the written word, the scriptures. When we read the Word of God, we are hearing God speak. And God has spoken in these last days, Hebrews 1 tells us, through His Son, Jesus Christ, the living Word. Both are an expression of God. Both complement each other. Both reinforce each other. So God has spoken to us. It is God revealing Himself. In fact, that is one of the names of Christ. He is the Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It is God's communication. It is divine speaking that is taking place. So when we see in the Old Testament, we see this concept, we see this act taking place, it points us to how God has spoken to us. And the Lord answered and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Have you ever heard any words without knowledge? hope none of y'all are saying that right now. There's a lot of people in our day, and I won't delve into this too far, but there are many people in our world today who are speaking words without knowledge. God says about Job, Job, you don't know what you're talking about. And that's exactly what Job has been saying. Job's been saying, I could offer some useful hints on how to run creation. If I had been in creation, I could have given some useful tips about how to design the universe and to, take, to do all these things. 
Verse 3, he says, Gird up now thy loins like a man. In other words, it's time to man up, Job. I'm going to call you into account. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to answer me if you can. I will demand of thee and answer thou me. And then God begins his questions, and for the next several chapters, God is going to, with one brief pause, he is going to repeatedly ask question after question after question. And the impetus of these questions builds up. And the question is simply going to have one simple answer. Job is going to have to say, I wasn't, I wasn't there, I don't know, you were, you know. Let me give you an example of the first question God asks. God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, you, you know so much about how creation ought to run. You know so much about the universe. You know so much about how everything is. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? God was the one who was there. And by being there when he laid the foundation, it means I'm eternal. I existed before this world ever existed. I'm greater. I'm beyond this world. It is important for us to remember two simple truths, and this is what God is going to reinforce with Job's heart and mind. We, there is a God, and we are not Him. And that's what Job's going to learn. He goes on, listen, I'm just going to read through several of these. I want you to get the, the flow of these. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Before he can even declare whether he has understanding or not, God says, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who has stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He's not only saying, Job, you weren't there when I created the world, but let me tell you a few details about what was going on there, about the angels rejoicing and the angels singing, so you will know that these are details only known by someone who was present when it happened. And Job is just back, beginning to back up. He knows, look, I have no answer for this. Just when we start thinking we know more than we do, God begins to humble. God begins to remind us of how little we know. Understand in our lives, we need to understand that whatever's taking place, we only see a small portion, a minuscule fragment of what is taking place. We don't know all that is going on, not only in the universe and in creation. We don't know what God is doing in our lives. We see only a portion of even our, our finite existence. We only see just a, one piece of the puzzle. God sees the beginning from the end, and he is the one that is created. He is the one that has done this. He's going to go through the rest of this chapter. And it's interesting that as God answers, and I, I want you to see as we look at this, God is responding to the question that is really the theme of this book. What about the presence of evil in this world? But God does not answer. God does not try to justify himself before Job's accusations. He doesn't address Job's accusation. He doesn't reveal the reason for Job's suffering to him. He just simply reminds him of his, his limited understanding of who God is. Through these chapters, and we won't read through all of them, but chapter 38 and 39 tells us that God, or God tells us that he is sovereign 
over creation. He not only created it, but it functions because of his power. He talks about the cycles of, of light and dark and the cycles in, in creation of life and death. And he talks about the joy that is in creation. And in all these things, he is reminding Job, Job, I'm in control of this. I use this. He talks about God providing for the, the birds of prey. He provides their food. But in providing for their food, for there to be life, there has to be death. Some creature, some prey has to die for the predator to be able to live. And we often talk about the, the circle of life, and we talk about the food chain, and we forget that in order for there to be life, there has to be death in this world. And that's exactly what God reminds him. He says, I used this, I created this, and I designed this, and I am the one who is governing creation. I am the one who is in charge. In chapter 38, he speaks of the, the inanimate aspects and elements of creation. And then he begins to talk about in the next chapter, in chapter 39, he begins to talk about the, the animate elements and the animal world, the goats, the wild goats, the donkeys, all these creatures, the ostrich. He even says that there's one who's just foolish. And God has created the ostrich to be foolish, he says. All things that are in creation... God says, I'm the one that's in control of that. I'm the one that's in charge. It is so important for us to remember whatever's going on in your life right now. Does the, does the clay say to the potter, why hast thou fashioned me thus? That's a principle and a truth that we need to just simply remember that God is the one that is in control. But this is not just God saying to Job, might makes right. I'm powerful, therefore you've got to submit. This is God saying, I am all wise, and I am the one that is working all these things together for good. We come to chapter 40, and we see not only that he's sovereign over creation, we begin to see his government of creation. There are two creatures. I want to pause just a minute. We'll, Lord willing, come back to this portion next week as we close this series, and we see Job restored from his suffering but God pauses for a minute in verse 1. He says, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproves God, let him answer it. He pauses to give Job a chance to speak his peace. And look at what Job says. Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. <laughs> Job has been humble. Now, he's not where, yet where he needs to be. But I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I love this. I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Job says, I've spoken, I've answered. I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth, and I'm going to be quiet. Got nothing else to say. And God's not finished yet. God is not done. You see, there's a work that's taking place in Job. Job's beginning to be humbled, but God is not done. And so God begins to ask more questions. God says again in verse 7, Gird up now thy loins like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? That's exactly what Job has done. In declaring himself to be righteous, he has reached the point where he has begun to condemn God as unjust. What is it that has happened in Job's life? Death has happened in Job's life. 
his children taken, natural disaster, death has come, Satan has been unleashed upon him. And so God begins to speak about two very interesting creatures in chapter 40 and chapter 41. In chapter 40, he will speak about a creature called the behemoth. In chapter 41, he will speak about a creature that's mentioned at least once other place in the other places in the Bible called the Leviathan. There's a lot of debate and a lot of discussion over what these creatures are. Some, there's some that believe that these are mythological creatures that were in the culture of that time. I don't believe that's the case because God has simply been describing throughout his speeches, he's been describing actual animals that exist. There are those who will say, well, it's, it's real animals, but there's a wide range of what people believe about that, and everything from crocodiles to dinosaurs, from um, just all over the range of what these animals are. I don't believe for our purpose this morning, you can study that out in your own time, and you can come, there's people on both sides, all sides of uh, good, good people that study that out. But there's two things that these creatures represent. If you study these chapters, it seems that the behemoth is the symbolic embodiment for that culture of death. Much like we would have in our time, we would think if we saw the symbol of the grim reaper, we automatically know that represents death. For that culture, if they saw and they recognized this creature, it represented, it was the symbolic embodiment of death. In chapter 41, the Leviathan, the Bible describes him in such a way. And in other places in Scripture, it points to him as the embodiment of evil, the symbolic embodiment of evil in the person of Satan. In fact, chapter 41 says he is the king over all the children of pride. Pride, of course, the essential characteristic of, of Satan. What this does with these two chapters is God takes this discourse God takes this concept beyond merely, here are some animals that I have created. Here is a world that I have created. He is saying to Job, Job, I am the one who controls death. Death has no power over me. Even when he comes into this world, death has no power over God. And Satan has no power. You'll remember from chapter 1, that it was not Satan who initiated what was taking place in Job's life. It was God who said to Job, have you considered my servant Job? This was the work of God. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. And as Job, think about what this means for Job. As Job looks at his life and he sees that all that has touched him has come from the natural world, the storms that came through and his children and his herds are taken and his family has died, death has touched everything around him, and Satan has been the one who has tried to do all this to him. God is saying, there is nothing in your life, Job, that is above my power. There is nothing in your life that is beyond what I am doing. Nothing can thwart or change the almighty purpose and the sovereign purposes of God in our lives. And what a blessed reminder for us that whatever's taking place in our life, whatever loss we have experienced, whatever pain we are feeling, whatever suffering we are going through, there is nothing in our lives that can change or thwart God's purpose in what He is doing. And this is the truth that God is responding to Job. 
But I want you to see something beyond this because whenever God is speaking, it reminds us of the ultimate speech of God. It reminds us that in these last days, He has spoken unto us by His Son, Jesus Christ. And in what He is saying here about Himself has been more perfectly revealed in the embodiment of Jesus and in the person of Jesus Christ. And He is the one who is our hope in life. And He is the one who is our hope in death. And no matter what we are going through, He is the source of our peace and our victory and our hope and our answers. In Jesus Christ, it is God speaking. It is in the person of Jesus Christ that God most perfectly answers the question of evil in this world, of suffering in this world. It is in the person of Jesus Christ that God identified with the suffering of humanity. He experienced our pain. He demonstrated our goodness. And He has forever resolved the root of all evil through His atoning work on the cross. The divine response to evil is the ultimate expression in Christ of God's goodness. Think about Christ's role in creation. Chapters 38 and 39 remind us that God was the one. And God says to Job, where were you when I created the world? Job was not there, but Jesus was there. John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We know that He is the one who upholds all things. Colossians chapter 1, all things are upheld. By the word of his power. God is the one who is sovereign over creation. And Christ is the one. He is the word. He is the goodness of God. God has evil on a leash. And through Christ he has conquered. He has conquered both death and the devil through Jesus Christ. And through his victory... We are victorious. Because He lives, we shall live also. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says that Christ has blotted out the writing of ordinances against us, nailing it to the cross, and He has spoiled principalities and powers. He has made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The Leviathan the embodiment of evil, Satan himself has been defeated by Christ. We have the victory. There is nothing that Satan can do to harm us. People talk and they'll say things like, well, the devil made me do it. Let me tell you that as a child of God, the devil cannot make you do anything that by the grace of God you don't want to do. There are those who are fearful about what the devil can do to me and spirits can do to me. Let me tell you that I rest under the blood of Jesus Christ and he has triumphed over principalities and powers and the rulers of this world. So I have nothing to fear. Whatever's happening in my life, if it is a work of Satan, I heard someone recently talk about all the bad things, and, well, God doesn't want this to happen, therefore it's the work of Satan. Let me tell you that if it is the work of Satan in my life, it is only because, as God did with Job, God has allowed it for my good. He has victory over it. He has victory over death. The behemoth, the, the embodiment of death, 
the death that touched Job's family, the death that touches our families, and the death that touches every single one of us. It is appointed unto man once to die. But Hebrews chapter 2 tells me that those who fear death their whole life no longer have to fear death. We don't have to live in fear of it. That's why I can have peace no matter what's taken place in my life. If I live, I win. And if I die, I am with Christ. And it is far better to be with Christ than to be here. Jesus is the one to whom I go, and he is the one that has taken away the sting of death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, then comes the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Have nothing to fear. Why? Look, whatever's happening in my life, whatever's happening in your life, it is under the authority of God. The importance of this to Job is the importance of this to us. Job's life has been affected. Our lives are affected. But let me tell you that you can walk in peace, you can live in peace, you can rest in peace. Why? Because nothing that can happen to us no matter how bad or evil or suffering it is, nothing can undo what Christ has done. The victory that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why Christians through the ages have marched to the stake. They have stood before the wild animals. They have stood with the swordsmen and the axemen ready to take their heads. And they have sung songs of joy and victory in Christ because they knew that to be absent from this body was to be present with the Lord. And there was nothing, not even death itself, that could change that. Nothing, even death itself, no evil, no vileness, nothing that takes place can separate us from the love of Christ, love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the promise that we have. Jesus is God's answer to the evil in this world. He is proof that God cares. He is proof that God governs. He is proof that God rules. And God's response to Job points us to his redemption in Christ that every one of us can experience. And this morning, you may not be at peace. You may be trying to live this life without Christ. But let me tell you, it is a life of suffering with no meaning. It is a life of pointless meaningless existence, but in Christ Jesus, we have the answer to all of life's questions, and we have the peace of God that passes all understanding, and we have the victory that has overcome this world, and we have victory over death. Why? Because we have God's answer, Christ Jesus. And you can experience that this morning. You don't have to walk out of here with a burden on your heart. You don't have to walk out of here with unanswered questions. You don't have to walk out of here with conflict and turmoil in your soul. You can find peace and rest in God's offer of salvation, the message of the gospel. And this morning, if you as a Christian are experiencing turmoil and you're experiencing trouble and you're experiencing all these things, I want to remind you of the peace and the answers and the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Christ has atoned for sin. He has conquered suffering and, and evil. 
Find your answers in him. Find your peace in him. Let me close with one thought. As believers, we have the answer in Christ, the answer that this world is looking for. And this world is in turmoil. This world is in trouble. This world has problems. They need to hear the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. What will we do to share it with them? Will you bow with me for prayer this morning? This morning, I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what the burdens on your heart are. But I want you to know that the answer is Jesus. It's not a simplistic thing. It's not just a, it's not just a Christian cliche. But Jesus, as the song says, is the answer for the world today. And I want you to know that you don't have to walk out of here. You don't have to leave here without knowing Christ as your Savior. It's as simple as this. It's as simple as right where you are or in a moment walking down an aisle and talking to one of our pastors. But it's as simple as saying, God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and that I can do nothing to save myself. I don't have any of the answers. I wasn't there. To all your questions, God, I can't answer a one. But I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead. He has conquered death. And I confess him as my Lord and my Savior. You can pray some, a prayer to that effect. Those words, put it in your words right where you are. But I ask you please today, in Christ's stead, I ask you to be reconciled to God. Please don't leave here without trusting Jesus Christ. To those of you who know Christ, let me ask you, please don't go on in the turmoil and the defeat when Christ has offered us the victory. He has won the victory. I invite you this morning maybe to come and kneel at the altar. Claim that victory that you have in Christ. Claim what he has done. He is God's response. He is God's answer. He is God's revelation of his goodness. Father, speak to us in this invitation, we pray. May your will be done.